Welcome back to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I say that every week as though there's nothing else I can say by way of introduction. But you know what? There's nothing else I can say by way of introduction. If yeah. you're hearing this for the first time today, then you need to know this is Knowing God with Heart and Mind. The regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. And I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm joined by my daughter Bethany, and we are studying Mere Christianity together. That is the book by C.S. Lewis, and uh, it is episode 22, being recorded on August 22nd, 2019, and we are in book three, Christian Behavior, chapter 11, part one of Faith. Yeah, because there's, there's two chapters. Two chapters on faith, yeah. That final theological virtue of faith. And the word faith is used by Christians in two senses. The first sense simply means belief, accepting or regarding as true the doctrines of Christianity. But faith in this sense is also considered to be a virtue. Mm -hmm. So why did this used to puzzle Jack. Yeah, he talks about like how he used to believe that a person of sound mind like accepts or rejects anything like at face value, I guess. Um, because of the evidence. So like you're presented with something and the evidence either makes you say, okay, that's good or that's bad. Yes or no. I'm for it or not. Um, yeah, so to put it another way, a sane person rejects or accepts any statement based on evidence, right. not what he wants. Right. Like, and that's, and, and he said that, um, that where he gets, not where he got confused, I guess, but like that he still kind of is is in agreement with his former self about that. Hmm. Um, but he said that what changed is that like, he, like he, he realized that the human mind is, there's fluidity there. Yeah. And that, which I think is really great because some people don't know, know that. Right. That your right. brain is elastic and you, you're not going to, like, you shouldn't necessarily stay stuck in one spot. Well, I like the way Jack puts it. He, he basically says, you know, if, if you've been mistaken in your faith, then that doesn't necessarily make you immoral or bad or anything like that. And it doesn't mean that you're not that clever. Um, but if you try to force yourself to believe in spite of the evidence, then it's still, even though it's not bad, it's just stupid. Yeah. <clears throat> you know? Yeah. So the completely practical, ever logical Clive Staples, Jack Lewis. Well, and he also goes back to something he's talked about a lot, especially with the chapters about love and Christian marriage and stuff. He says, like, faith should not be and is in his case is not an emotional 
thing, it's a reason-based thing. Right. His faith is based on reason. It's not based on emotion. And... Well, you know, we've gone back to Mr. Spock a few times in this. Because I'm convinced that if Mr. Spock were a real character, that Jack could convert him to a Christian. And because what what you're describing in my opinion is what Mr. Spock would call a law of probabilities. He he would just say that that faith is not an emotional assent to something. It's a it's a calculated risk based on the uh preponderance of evidence, you know, that they I can't confirm for absolutely sure that this is true, but there's so much evidence that sort of indicates that it could probably be true that I'm in favor of trusting that it is. I think I just described myself and the topic of Sasquatch. Because <laughs> I've always been of the mind since I was a little kid that Sasquatch is real, but the reality is there's not enough evidence yet to verify it for absolutely certain, but there is quite a bit of credible evidence just not enough and so in a way my conviction that that probably is a real creature that roams in certain parts of the world is a matter of faith you know so i was just a logical faith like he opens this chapter by saying that faith is used by Christians to describe belief, but I was just thinking that it sounds to me kind of like belief is the more guttural reaction. Yeah. Like, belief is the emotional, like, because a lot of people, when they give their testimony, when they say how they came to faith, it starts with a pretty emotional thing yeah. happening. That's so sort I would of say I like, know that I know because I know. Yeah. So I would say maybe belief is emotional, but faith solidifies through reason yeah yeah and and you know that's actually one of the classic uh uh conversations of the church fathers Um, (laughs) well saint anselm is is famous for saying a lot of things but anselm said that he didn't believe in order to have faith he had to have faith in order to believe yeah so he was basically saying it started with an emotional response which somehow opened me to being able to see things in a way that i couldn't before so there is that leap of faith and then there's that nurturing of the faith mm-hmm. or sanctification that creates greater faith and then faith has a way of building faith out of faith and i'm certain that there are people who have come to s- faith a solid faith through reason on on its own too oh um a certain john wesley that we're fond of around our well and i was thinking of certain other scientists that i've read you know that that's how their brains work yeah um but i think that what he's talking about here this like battle between faith and reason versus emotion Mm -hmm. i would say that you know if you don't ever get past the emotion part, maybe your faith isn't super Well, and we have grounded. all different expressions of that in religion. Um, you know, really, one of the reasons that the Methodist traditions of John Wesley and Charles Wesley appealed to me 
was because it's a matter of heart and mind, which is why I decided a long time ago that's what I wanted to call this podcast, because it appeals to both reason and emotion. So um, that's, uh, you know, that that's kind of what drew me. I got mm-hmm. a little sidetracked because I forgot to turn off my texting here. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's look at the next one here. What, okay. what did Lewis come to understand that allowed him to see faith as a virtue? What are some of the examples that illustrate that? Well, I think we may have talked about that a little just now. Yeah. But he talks, like, he gives several examples of, like, um, like how reason how important reason is, but how it can kind of be usurped. Um, like he talks about the guy who um, thinks a girl's real pretty and likes her, but he also knows that she's a rotten egg and she lies and stuff and can't can't keep a secret, can't be trusted. Um, but when she's around, mm-hmm. he kind of loses track of that. And right. tells her stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, because his emotions get the best of his faith and his reason. Um, and similarly, he talks about, like, a boy learning to swim. And this one, I I mean, I don't know about the guy and the girl thing. I'm pretty, like, if you burn me, man, well, I, I'm not super trusting I like I like his but, example about you know, being anesthetized or... or yeah. <laughs> I like that one because, you know, I spent a huge portion of my life not having been put under for anything. When I was a little kid, I got put under for things, but I was a little kid. So all of a sudden, here I am in my my early 50s, and the body's starting to break down. Mm-hmm. And I could relate completely to what he says here. He can reason that anesthesia is not going to kill him and that if it's properly administered by a, a skilled practitioner then he'll simply go into a deep sleep and then you know wake up later having been through whatever they did but boy when that mask is coming down over your face you have that moment of childish panic and that's just emotion mm-hmm. you know and i'm thinking yeah i get that cuz because you know i hadn't been down that road and then all of a sudden there i was and then twice in a matter of 4 or 5 years and uh, mm-hmm. you know last year i had shoulder surgery and and uh, it, it changed my life for the better because my shoulder was in really bad shape, and, and uh, I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, you know, the moment that you're knocked out and it's like, man, you leave the world. When they put the, when, when you get that stuff, then it, it, one minute you're saying, you know, they're saying, okay, just take a deep breath, and the next minute they're saying, hello, hello, you know, and you're like, wait, <laughs> how, how did I how did my brain go on you know pause for two and a half four hours whatever it's it's really amazing yeah and and so there is a certain you know i, I anyway i can relate to that yeah well and i think that one's really similar to the kid learning to swim because i think if if you have ever learned how to swim you absolutely know this feeling because he talks about the kid maybe being able to logic out the fact that that they should be able to float even if they're not great at swimming. Mm -hmm. But as soon as your instructor takes their hand away or leaves you in the pool by yourself, you kind of 
doesn't matter that your reason says you'll be fine. The rest of you is freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your parasympathetic nervous system starts kicking in and you panic. Oh, good word. Thanks. Well, it's that it's expensive that, education. It's that expensive education that I got. Yep. <laughs> All right, so paraphrase what the sense of faith isn't and what it is. Faith is not. Okay. Look at paragraph four. Okay. I don't know which one. Mine don't have numbers. Sorry, guys. (laughs) It's all right. I I mean, I've got the guide in front yeah. of me, which is a little I bit like cheating. I just have my magic up book. I promise you folks, I've read the book actually multiple times, and and yet I'm also trying to navigate our study guide, so... Um, okay, so he says that um, that Christianity is not asking someone to accept it if his reasoning tells him that evidence is against it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, he's not, he's saying that if the way you have reasoned things out doesn't present you with evidence for Christianity, then you shouldn't like try to override that. Mm-hmm. Um, because then faith's not going to be in that at all mm-hmm. because you're going against what your reason and faith say. Um, but he says that if you, if if you reasoned it out and the evidence seems to be for Christianity being true, then then there is a chance for faith to possibly step in. Yeah. Um, so faith as belief is not denial of reason. Yes. And it isn't filling in gaps of reason or replacing reason. Reason it's. I love this. Uh, faith is the art of holding on to the things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing <laughs> mood. Faith clings to reason when your mood objects. That, that's good. Yeah. You know. But so, so faith is something that you train yourself in, which is what I meant a minute ago when I said faith creates faith that creates faith. What I mean is that at some point in your life, you begin to have accumulated a significant number of faith experiences that inform issues that require faith. Mm-hmm. So if you've had a number of surgeries, for example, then you're going to be a little less frightened when they put you down, you know, because put you out, I guess would be a better way to put it. But because, you, you know, it's like, hey, been there, done that, you know. Uh, it'll be fine and so faith builds faith yeah and you know so it becomes a less emotional thing with practice which is something else that yeah that's what he says says. yeah he says like you have to teach your moods where where they get off yeah which i think is really funny yeah yeah um because if you don't you're not a sound christian but you're also not a sound you're not even a sound atheist if you're if you're letting your moods totally control you right and you're just kind of wishy-washy Which, back and forth. Like, sometimes I like Jesus, but sometimes I don't believe any of it. Well, then th- there's no belief ev- at all. That's And that's funny because, you know, I've talked with you about this uh, uh, outside of our podcast. And it's a as a pastor for, for these 25 years almost, you know, I have had 
numerous experiences where I realized that people were trying to make decisions based on emotions, sandwiching a small amount of fact. And what I've realized is, is that the best decisions we make are heavy on facts and small on emotions. So instead of having in a, a fact sandwich, we want an emotion sandwich. We want, we want bread on top that's facts. We want feelings in the middle, and then we want facts on the bottom. And then we will make an informed decision that doesn't ignore our emotions, but it puts our emotions in the proper perspective. And, and I've just I've come to realize that, you know, when people get highly emotional about something, um, that's not the time to make a critical decision, you know. And so you have to take that emotional uh, aspect out of the picture. You know, and and or at least tone it down a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, because because feelings aren't truth. Yeah, they're just not. They they can be based on truth, but they are not in and of themselves truth, and that's that's the issue. So faith is in things that are true, or almost certain to be true. Mm-hmm. And emotions is is the other, and honestly, I use that Sasquatch thing again. You know, you, you and I have had tons of laughs back when there was this wacky show on TV where these people were going to, you know, they wanted to be taken seriously. Not all, all, some of them were better than others, but one guy in particular really wanted to be taken seriously, but he was so freaking emote. A pastor should not say <laughs> freaking on his Bible study podcast. I beg your pardon, <laughs> listener. I repent, Lord, for the use of a word that could have negative he just made me think of that little girl last night on the show yeah really (laughs) so okay anyway anyway, this guy was just his whole his belief was was so emotionally expressed that you couldn't take him seriously because he wasn't talking about facts he was talking about his feelings he was talking out the other end yeah and pretending that it was factual and he he lost me yeah. Very quickly because he said something completely ridiculous with no evidence to back it up as fact. Yeah. Because and he was because so it emotionally was more, invested. Yeah, because he, he was more emotionally invested in being right than he was scientifically invested yep. in being right. And what's sad is, is I'm with him. I, I want to believe it's real too, but I actually think that it's probably nothing like he thinks it is and i'm not emotionally invested in it the way he is well and to tie it all back around he did i think that because of his emotion being so attached to it he did more damage than he did helping his cause Mm -hmm. and bringing it back around I think there are a lot of Christians who operate from a very emotional place who do more damage and cause other Christians to have to do damage control because they just go at it from an emotional viewpoint and it makes other people discount what they're saying. And it kind of goes back to the things that divide Christians because they're almost always emotional issues. Mm -hmm. And the current one in the Methodist church is a very emotional issue. Well, I, I had a, a, a friend who was helping me with a problem today with my hand um, actually asked me, you know, what exactly happened? And I, and I was evasive, and, you know, he's busy 
person, so we didn't take a lot of time on it. And I wasn't evasive because I didn't want to answer it. I just figured that he didn't need a long answer. And all I said was, is it's going to divide us, and there's probably nothing we can do about it. And the reality is, is that's because people are more invested in their emotional uh, response to a uh, kind of, depending on which way you're looking at it, a political or personal issue and when it's all said and done if you're not focused on the, the lordship of Christ the if you're not if, if if honoring God and following the leadership of Christ isn't the number one priority then your God is a political agenda within the church or outside the church you know so so basically the the number one thing that we're all supposed to do is not have any gods before God or mm-hmm. no false gods mm-hmm. And that's what we're always trying to do. We're always putting other things ahead of God. And some people do it in the name of religion, and I think they're some of the most confused and deluded people. And I don't mean that in a hurtful way. I'm just trying to say that, you know, in the name of religion, crusaders committed atrocities. Yep. You know, in the name of religion, there are other crusaders presently who are committing all kinds of atrocities, you know. So the whole idea of doing things in the name of religion means you're worshiping your religion, and worse than that, you're worshiping your interpretation of that religion. So you may not be even honoring, you know, I've often chuckled at the idea that, you know, Wesley would be so, so disappointed with how many people claim him as the founder of their tradition, and yet they have nothing in common with him. And that, I, that happens a lot, though. I digress. It is pretty <laughs> much of a historical uh, conundrum. It, it, it comes around every time there's a new movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I can't go here because we were not talking about this, but I was just thinking yesterday because we're getting ready to do this men's thing at church, and I was thinking, you know, one of the guys they're going to feature is the latest super pastor. And, you know, he really is. And after 25 and really more years, after after 30, more than 30 years of, of you know, kind of being in touch with popular Christianity and, and observing it, um, I've seen him come and go, you know. Oh, and yeah. my favorites are the ones that stand the test of time and they never get out of, you know, they, they didn't set out to be popular, but they are consistent and... yes trustworthy and you know the billy grams chuck swindoll is one of my favorites yep. you know and and these are pe- they don't waver from their core tenants right they just keep doing what they're doing and, and Which i'm not doesn't say- well the great thing about people like that sorry it's I'm okay jacking you the great thing about people like that is they don't waver from those core tenants but that doesn't mean that when they're presented with evidence right that might pull them slightly a different away from that center line right if if those facts are what need they needed to hear and was important they acknowledge that they don't go like off wild on one side and then flip-flop back to the other side right but they well i I tend to think any pastor that seeks celebrity kind of gets what they deserve yeah however sometimes when you're doing god's will people flock to you because they're hungry and so you know I think I'm doing God's will, but apparently I haven't come up with the recipe that millions of people are hungry for, or even thousands of people are hungry for. But I'll settle for the hundreds or so that have come over the years. And don't you think it would be a horrible, like 
very scary and a whole lot of responsibility to stick like I mean, I wouldn't want to be a celebrity pastor. I don't want to be a celebrity pastor. And, and you know, as soon as you become a celebrity, people manipulate you. I still think about how Barack Obama used Rick Warren. And I'm not anti I, I refuse to say what I am regarding our presidents or anything. But when, when Barack Obama was inaugurated, I just thought, how interesting. Um that he pulled Rick Warren in there and how interesting that Rick Warren went along with it, you know, and it doesn't mean it's just like, I made up my mind years ago. I was looking at you almost any day. You can look at the paper or look online or whatever, and you'll see a picture of a political figure signing something and a dozen people standing behind them for the picture. And I made up my mind a long time ago that I don't care if it's some minor official in the city of Jasper or whatever, I am not going to be a prop for any politician, <laughs> ever. I don't want to be any politician's prop. And, you know, politicians, I know you're not listening, but if happens to be one out there who listens to this, don't ever plan on me being a prop for any agenda you have because I won't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's only because I don't want to get deluded in my own thought and start to think too highly of myself. Yeah. Um, I have more important things to do and a more important person to elevate than me. Yep. You know? Okay, here we go. Faith (laughs) in the second higher sense. Oh, I, whoa, hang on. Is more difficult. Because there's a couple of things he says with all that that I just need to throw out. Because I have at least one friend that claims, and I don't, I'm not saying this is not true, but they they say they are a Christian, but they are very against going to church, doing any of anything with organized religion. Lewis says, and 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 this person I love dearly and and absolutely reads their Bible and stuff. So it doesn't totally this isn't totally like me saying, "Oh, see if this person's wrong." But Lewis says Faith has to be fed and you have to train your habit. And he says, like, that includes prayer every day, reading, attending church. He, he says all of those things because he says we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. We have to feed our faith or there isn't, it's not faith. And it just, it made me think of certain people that I've known over the years who claim Christianity, but are not willing to do any of the legwork that goes with it. And then I just think, well, then, you know, they starved their faith. So I just had to throw that in because that no, was No, it's all right. I, you gave me a thought. I, yeah. You know, it's not that I haven't thought about this many times over the years, but lately I've had at least a few conversations where I've explained to people what I believe my mission is as a pastor in a mainline denomination that is really messed up and there's a part of me that I ask myself why why when you have your own issues with organized religion Mm -hmm. do you do this Mm -hmm. and there's a certain part of me that says you know because I got a pension and I've got (laughs) 10, 10 years till retirement that's not a very faith filled response because you know i could say well i mean god's going to take care of me you know but maybe god's saying something else and here's what i think he's saying to me at least right now 
and it's basically you you helped me come to this simple phrase um, John Wesley preached a very famous sermon I think George Whitfield preached his own version of it but it's called the almost Christian and I realized that what I seem to have been called to is to minister to and evangelize the almost Christians because there's so many people in churches who are almost Christian mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like they're it's like they've got one foot inside the kingdom and one foot outside the kingdom yeah you know and holding and, the door open a little and I'm in the kingdom trying to pull them in yeah and that's kind of how it feels like you know what I seem to be doing and it's and and it's no disrespect to those people but it is a it is tempting to withdraw and say organized religion is insane yeah and I've never seen it more insane than it is right now in our denomination and then there's another side of me you know that I'm very aware that there are Christians out there who live in little like colonies um yeah and basically are trying to live the New Testament Acts of the Apostles sort of communal life and it's great but it I'm not called to that you know and all I keep hoping is is that I am firmly planted inside the kingdom but I spend a lot of time walking the periphery <laughs> trying to pull people who are half in and half out on in you know I I don't know I don't know all right, so faith in the second higher sense is more difficult. After the recognition of a shortcoming, for example, pride, the next step should be some serious attempt to practice Christian yes. virtues. So what's the main thing we learn from doing this, and consequently, what have we come to see about Christ? Well, so he talks about like how one thing that you learn pretty quick is that you can't just do it for a week and say, yes, now I'm perfect. You have to do it for a while. It's like a habit. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's a habit. You have to you have to keep doing it. Um, and by doing it for that length of time, you do discover things about yourself. So, like he says, no one knows how bad they are until they've tried really hard to be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and so he says, like, you know, only people who have tried to resist temptation know how strong temptation is. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I are trying, we, we're working on that right now with yeah. getting ready for our trip. And it's helping to have a, someone to do it with. But yeah. but it is, like, we're last night to, we got Trying home. to drop a few pounds so <laughs> that we're more fit for our pilgrimage to Israel and... Last night we got home from church and it had been a while since we ate and we were both sitting there going, gosh, I'm so hungry. Yeah. And it, so it's hard. Um, and he kind of brings up the point again that he brought up before that bad people don't really know very much about their own badness mm-hmm. um, because they're sort of sheltered because they give in. Um, but he said, I'm just going to quote him because it's one of my different colored spots. <laughs> He says, we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means and the only complete realist. Hmm. Um, so 
the main thing we learn from a serious attempt to practice Christian virtues is that we fail. Yeah. But Christ doesn't. Yeah. Which is pretty great. That's good. Huh. So what two discovery results has God been waiting for you to realize? So, the first one is that he's been waiting for you to realize that you're not going to pass the test. <laughs> There's no passing. Or putting him in your debt. Right. Um, which, as a person who's like, doesn't not pass tests, that stresses me out. Um, but I also know the loophole, so I'm, I'm cool. Um, and then the other discovery is that everything about you, every movement you make, every thought that comes into your brain, the, like the power to have a thought or move your body was a gift from God. Hmm. Yeah. And that if you like, even if you devoted your whole life to serving him, you, that's great, but it's not, you're not giving him anything you didn't already have. Yeah. And that it wasn't already his. So. Hmm. You know, that's, I'm really just digesting that because, you know, uh, one of the things that, that is kind of a constant in my preaching and it's because I don't know, some old-time preachers told me back when I first got started, you know, just remember the most main, the most important thing is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And, um, you know, what I've interpreted that to mean in my ministry is that I'd never let an opportunity pass where I share people, share with people the, the fundamentals of, of the gospel which is to just say this this is the way of salvation and and I just I was just thinking you know I've never thought about saying you know suppose that when you die um, you get to the gates of heaven and and there's all these people sitting at desks with pencils and papers taking a test <laughs> you know um, what are your chances you think of being able to pass that test you know mm -hmm. um, Years ago, I took a course um, in Jackson, Mississippi. It called Evangelism Explosion, which was very popular in the 70s and the early 80s. And it was something that uh, old D. James Kennedy came up with. He was a very famous Presbyterian preacher out of Florida. He passed away many years ago. And it always starts with two questions. There's this process that they teach people for walking an unbeliever through salvation, through to salvation. Mm -hmm. And in order to get my certificate, I had to demonstrate that I could do that, you know. But it starts with these two questions, basically, which is, is if you were to die tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven? And the second question is, is when you get to heaven, and the Lord says, why should I let you in? What would you say? And that's the basis for this whole presentation that you do where you just say, well, look, you know, if you think you're going to heaven, um, that's like really remarkable because you just, that's because you want it to be true. And if you think that the reason you should be let in is because you're good, then you just failed the test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I mean, really. And and so what I could say of my church experience of observing people with one foot in and one foot out is that the one foot in is their belief that Jesus is the key to having a place to go when you die that's desirable. Their one foot out is that they think that if they stay in the world and not entirely in the kingdom, they can be good in the world and then jump into the kingdom at the last minute right before they die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as as though, you know, it's like jumping on a merry-go-round or something. Yeah. And, and so the questions really are profound because they tell you so much about people. And I remember one church I served, we gave out a scholarship from the clergy association every year. And one year we had like six candidates. And, you know, the, these clergy friends of mine, they're all trying to be clever and all this. And then it would be my turn to ask a question. And the first question I asked was, is if you died today, do you think you'd go to heaven? And do you know one out of the six kids said yes? And when I asked the second question, they all said yes. But the one, when I asked the second question, one out of the six said, because Christ died for me, took the penalty for my sin, and because of him, God can let me into heaven. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, that's who I want to give the scholarship to, because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be from a Christian clergy association. And it was a really simple way to say, to find out how mature a person's faith is. Yeah. You know, because if they it's think... It's great that a high schooler was that mature in their faith. Yeah, you know. And, and the funny thing is they all knew each other. And so I was in charge of calling everybody to say, I'm sorry, you didn't get the scholarship. It was like $500, you mm-hmm. know. And when I called the girl that got the scholarship, she said, well, I kind of figured that's why you're calling because all the others called me and said they didn't get it. And they knew it was probably because I was the only one that answered that question you asked. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, good, you know, because as soon as they heard her answer the question, they knew that's what I was looking for, mm-hmm. you know, and... Again, I just I love that because it's just like that thing where he says, you know, first thing you got to understand is if you can't pass the test, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's the Kobayashi Maru, <laughs> you know, of Star Trek, right? It's, James Kirk passed that test. Well, well he cheated. He, he beat that test. You can't. I guess I shouldn't say pass. See, you can't cheat God's test for, <laughs> you know, there there is an impossible test and you can't pass it. The only thing you can do is get a pass. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can even cheat that one. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, what I really like is at the end of the chapter, and I this is the next chapter, but that's fine. At the end of the chapter, he says that once a person figures out those two things, they're awake. And then in the very first paragraph of the next chapter, he says, like, something along, I'm not looking at my book now, but he says something along the lines of, like, if you got to this point, and you don't have questions like this, or you start reading, and you're like, oh, I've never thought about that, then you might as well put the book down because you're done. Yeah. And I really think it's kind of wild how just systematically through the book, he's getting deeper and deeper. And, and I would love to know, like, when this was a radio show, mm-hmm. what the numbers looked like as he went through the book. Yeah, really. Yeah. Because I have a feeling that he did, like, there was some weeding and that happened. I would I would like to make a suggestion because of what you just said. Um, 
I have read the book and I've listened to the audio book and I've listened to the audio book probably three times. I've only read the book once. I've heard people say they were glad we were doing this study because they had trouble reading the book. If you have not gotten an audio copy of this book, mm. maybe you should get it. You can borrow one from the library. You can get one with an Audible account like I have. You can buy a CD. I think, you know, you might even be able to buy an MP3 and, and download it. I'm not sure how that works. But listen to it. Uh, you know, maybe you're a runner or a walker. You know, listen to it while you're out when you're jogging or running or walking. Or, or uh, if, you, if you do like me, I listen when I mow. I, when I'm doing my grass mowing, I listen to audiobooks or if I'm on a road trip or something. And um, the reason I'm saying that is because this is a great book to hear. And having it read to you may be a way that will open it up to you that didn't necessarily work for you when you were reading it yourself. Um, so I would really mm -hmm. recommend that. This is a great time in literary history because now you can have so much great stuff read to you yeah and you know for people who find reading difficult and distra easily distracted or whatever this is great this is your opportunity mm -hmm. you know well okay so th thank you for listening we're honored deeply honored that you listen to us we hope you stimulate your critical thinking and we hope to uh your see your faith grow as a result of this and and other things um and now you know what we mean by faith, huh? <laughs> or at least what Jack means by faith. So last thing to say is, well, you know, Bethany, tell them where they can learn more about you, me, Shiloh, and all that. Well, you can start by coming to Shiloh in Jasper. Yep. We're real nice. <laughs> so if you live around anywhere <laughs> around Du Bois County, Indiana, you know, uh, come on over and see us. You can put faces to names. That's Hit right. Dad's face is on, like, the website and stuff, but my face isn't, so, yeah. you know. But you can go to the website at... You can go to the website at Shiloh Um. <laughs> That's not Shiloh Um. <laughs> at Shiloh Um dot org. <laughs> I always want to say Shiloh Hum, because that's how it looks when you spell it out. Yeah, I, I can see that. So, Shiloh, S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G is go. what we're saying. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Yep. Um, come join our party and talk to us. No yeah. one wants to talk to we us. We love that. We um, love hearing from you. It's a, it's at knowing God with heart and mind, and all you got to do is ask to join the group, and the administrator sitting across from me will say, sure, come <laughs> on aboard. There you go. Um, and then, you know, think about getting our app. Um, yeah, that too. All you got to do is go to the Google Play Store, the App Store for Apple, and just search for Shiloh Jasper. Just put in the word Shiloh and the word Jasper. There are other Shiloh United Methodists out there. So if you just type Shiloh Jasper, you'll find our um, Ours has the app. cool blue and gray boxes. Yeah, it's the blue and gray boxes. Yeah, That make the pixels make a cross in the middle. There you go. So check it out. And uh, until next time, God bless you, and goodbye. Bye.